This is uh, this is Tom Hanks in the post saying, "I almost sound like if John Wayne was from Boston." I mean, yeah, there's there's some there's some fun stuff going on with with them dialects, though. I really think that Tom Hanks is just like Fifty Shades of Hanks. Literally, there's Fifty Shades of Tom Hanks, and that's what you get. <laughs> I love it. Like this is this was like Mauve Hanks. You know, you know I, 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 it was interesting, though. I kind of felt like he and Meryl Streep in the post, they kind of switched roles a little bit. Uh, as far as the type of character yeah, they were playing? Uh, mm-hmm. Because she, she's normally a little more brassy. And, you know, I just really want to say the word brassy. Um, sorry, the notifications on my, uh, my Fitbit keep vibrating. And I'm trying <laughs> like you are brassy. Um, they're like we know you are brassy, and so I got really distracted because it w- it was like a succession, and now it's telling me I had five missed text messages. So I'm like, no one's been talking to me for hours, and now all of a sudden, um, it's happening. Uh, but yeah, so I, I, you know, she's a more brassy character normally, and he often is very like lovable, but sometimes timid or you know sheepish, I guess a bit. He he tends to have a, a touch of the bashful brush. He does. I did make a joke though while I was watching it, where I was like, oh, it's like the sequel to the Trial of O.J. Simpson because there are. Well, at first it was uh, just the one guy, Bruce Greenwood who uh, um, plays Robert McNeely, uh, and he's in it. But then when Sarah Paulson pops up, I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah, I was I was just like, all right, uh, you know, playing straight. I appreciate uh, the, the reach for you. I, I did appreciate that we also had both David Cross and Bob Odenkirk in this. And, I was, uh, it's I was the man like, show, man. Mr. Show, no, no, it's sorry, Mr. Show. show. Mr. No, show. Okay. <laughs> De- delete, delete me saying that. Just delete that part. Um, no, because no. I was oh thinking. Oh my God, was... if I ever meet either of them, I'm going to just say I loved the man show. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was thinking Mr. Show. Uh, no, I got too, you. And then said it. I hate when I do that. It's just, you, I sound. You sounds... know the right thing. Well, and you it know. sounds like I'm dumb and I'm not dumb. I know my shit. It's just that. It is almost 11 my time. I know, and I apologize for the late Oh, no, don't apologize at all. I am happy to talk to you at any point. I got to, before we go into this, I got to just talk about this guy. We're we're reviewing the post, guys, in case you couldn't tell. This is what we're doing. Yeah, so we're (laughs) reviewing the post. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Bleeding Uh, edge stuff. (laughs) Today, we're talking about the post. A movie which inspired me to ask, why didn't they show more of the printing of the papers? That was really cool. (laughs) On slow claps and rewrites. Uh, So I need to, before we discuss the post, I need to talk about Michael Stuhlbarg, who I literally do not remember ever seeing before this year. And now... Three movies I have seen in the last month, or maybe maybe a month and a half, he has been in and has played like a decent role. And so he's in The Post. He's in Shape of Water. He plays the Russian spy. 
And then he's also in Call Me By Your Name. Amazing job as the father of the, the young boy, Elio. Like, amazing job. Like, he does a really good job. He's, uh, uh, he's, he's Rosenberg in this, I believe, is his last name. Um, yeah, Abe, oh, sorry, not Rosenberg. Uh, Abe Rosenthal. Apologies. So he's Abe Rosenthal in that. He, in this movie, uh, he's random Russian doctor who kind of helps out and who's, motives i'm never a fully clear of and then uh and then yeah he's elio's dad in uh call me by your name and so i've i've never really seen him in anything although apparently he's in a serious man which i was like oh okay all right apparently he was a doctor in doctor strange yeah no i saw that i think he's the doctor that he's making fun of at the beginning in that scene with Rachel ah. McAdams. I I believe he's that doctor. So, and then he's he's in the most recent season of Fargo, I guess. Oh, which, I remember him now. I, did you ever watch Pawn, Pawn Sacrifice? Uh, no, I didn't because I don't like movies about chess. Honestly, it's really, it's tangentially about chess. It's more about Tobey Maguire playing somebody who probably had... Um, some form of Asperger's and then became paranoid schizophrenic in Bobby Fischer. And it is a fascinating character piece like that. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I'm just weird about, I don't think chess is an interesting thing to watch unless Magneto and Professor X are playing it. What a great scene. Back before we all knew what Brian Singer was like. Yeah, right. (laughs) So yeah, I just need to talk about this guy who for me, though I know he's in other things, came out of nowhere and is in these heavy hitters, three Oscar-nominated films in one year, which, I mean, Donald Gleason has done, as people I know like to bring up. But I I, uh, <laughs> I, like, the, I like your quiet Low laughing. Key. Uh, but, but he's just, he's tremendous in all of them too it's not like he i think he does a really amazing job with very different roles some much bigger than others like have you you haven't seen call me by your name right i have not okay so you need to see it i was a little i kind of went in thinking i wouldn't like it at all and i i liked it some some um uh no i liked it more than i thought i would it's not my favorite movie of the year but it was it was a really solid film it was really beautiful there's an amazing soundtrack to it that i have bugged our buddies at into the echo to discuss so hopefully they do um but yeah it's 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 a solid film although a majority of the film i kept thinking okay so this is gonna happen or this is gonna happen like i kept plotting some massive thing i was like oh okay (laughs) didn't didn't plan that okay (laughs) all right (laughs) because there's just it's a lot of it's a lot of character growth and and change and a lot of talking and beautiful music but yeah it's a it's a great film and this also was a film that i enjoyed seeing that is that is an apt description of the post. I'm glad I saw it. I don't know if I would you know, I'm not I'm not hungry to see it again. It's not it's not that kind of movie, I guess. Yeah. I think 
I was really glad you kind of talked to me a little bit about it before I went to see it because you saw it before I did. And you kind of gave me a little bit of a warning. So I think I probably liked it a bit more than you might have because I had the warnings. And so I was sort of prepped. But I have to agree, like, if we want to start, do we want to start on characters? Do we want to start on on the directing, the writing? What do you want to start on for this? Um, I think let's let's talk about let's talk about the actors. Um and then I'd say directing, and let's end with the script because I do think there are some missed opportunities. But overall, I was I was pretty happy with the script itself. The script was great, in my opinion. Like, I, I, not to like spoil that. I I thought the script was really solid. My main issue was with Spielberg, who I think was often Ready Player One land. Um, yep. Anyway, so let's talk about our. I, I feel there. It's a. It's a. It's an immense cast, like huge cast, with lots of cameos from people that like I was just really you know, I was enjoying seeing them kind of come out of the woodwork. Uh, but anyway, I'd say the four main characters uh, were played by uh, oh, this newcomer guy. I can't remember his name. T- Tom, Tom, I think it is. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, yes. No, uh, Tom Hanks is Ben Bradley. Meryl Streep as Kay Graham. Uh, I would say Bob Odenkirk as Ben. I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Bad Badikin, Bad Badkian, which Badikian. I was originally Badikian. There we go. I like that. Uh, but. At first, I was like, wait, both of their names are Ben? Because it was really confusing every once in a while. And I thought Tom Hanks was referring to himself in the third person. He's earned that. All right. And the last character being Bradley Whitford, who played Arthur Parsons, who, let me just say, get out aged him. Yeah, he's now he's now the poster for, like, awful white people. <laughs> I know, right? Like that's he is branded now. Him and Catherine Keener, which I never thought would happen. Right? I love her. Uh, I do too. I loved when she uh, in Capote she played uh, Harper Lee. Yeah, yeah, she's great in that she movie. She was great as Harper Lee. I was like, I'm gonna. I don't want to mess it up. I can't mess up another one. <laughs> <laughs> it's Harper Lee. She killed some mockingbirds. Yeah. Then she went and set a Watchman. <laughs> yeah. Don't remind me. I read that. I don't want to talk about it. Um, so yeah, I would say let's start with Bradley and with Meryl. Sound good? Yep. All right. So uh, why don't you start? I've just realized I've t- talked a majority of this time. Let's let you. That is okay. Have a word Bradley in. Whitford did a good job of showing. I think having just seen him in Get Out. No one was willing to trust his motives um, just as a character, especially having, you know, whitish hair again. But I think at least in, in his scenes, he came across as genuinely concerned about the paper. He came across as a businessman, as this is a business thing. Now, the, the sexist undertones and the dismissive treatment of Kay and the undermining of Kay were a were tools and tactics, I think, driving towards his singular motivation of, like, saving the paper. 
And I, I do think his heart was, quote unquote, in the right place. But it was saving the paper from the perspective of a money-making entity and what that does in a capitalist world, not from the perspective of saving the paper's journalistic soul, which I think were the mm-hmm. two struggles, like, you know, for everyone. Are we saving this paper to stand for something or saving it to continue to exist and have jobs for people and make money and provide livings for families and and things like that and he definitely fell into the strictly business camp but i the thing i liked about his performance is his dismissiveness of k was insidiously realistic it wasn't cruel and it wasn't vindictive he wasn't trying to make her life hell or go after her personally it definitely felt like and this is not to say it isn't shitty but it felt like an accurate depiction of sentiments at the time it felt like this is how men in business would treat women in business not anything special or out of the ordinary just like the standard run-of-the-mill day-to-day sexism that dominates workplace politics no i agree and i think the backstory of Kay, where it was her father's paper given to her husband and then her husband committed suicide. So she really never saw herself as being in this situation. I think she assumed she would be in a place where, you know, her husband found his successor. And obviously, you know, she has a daughter played by Alison Brie. And so that's not really an option. I think, I think, Bradley Whitford and uh, Meryl Streep play really well off of each other. He seems so assured to match her lack of faith in herself. And so the scenes actually with the two of them, I found really compelling because I was like, well, between the two of them, yeah, like he's convincing me. Even though there is that that sexism, obviously, it's the time. Not saying it's right, but it's the time. And I think he needed to be kind of, he's like not a huge guy. And so, but I think he commanded quite a presence considering, and he had this sense of self that seemed, he seemed very assured of his plans, assured of like what he was trying to say and what he was trying to do. And I thought that was really interesting. I think every scene he was in, he did a really solid job up in, like, I, I really, you know, he had some really impressive moments and I felt like he really did a great job playing up Meryl Streep up into that, you know, scene at the party where she's on the phone. Like I, and you know, it's, there's a lot of back and forth. It's a really stressful scene as they're trying to decide to print, whether or not to print this story, um, the Pentagon papers as it were. And, uh, I think that was, I think I, I really was very impressed with what he had to do. I honestly do really love Bradley Whitford prior. I mean, get out. Like, yeah, he's, it's hard because, uh, I mean, he was he's really good at it. a beautiful monster. What? He's a beautiful monster. Yeah, he is a beautiful monster. He's our beautiful monster. Um, no, I mean, I love him and the things he does. I, I loved West Wing, the, you know episodes I tuned in on when my mom was watching it in marathon sessions. 
Uh, I think he just, ha- uh, he, but what I love is he is normally a timid character, not like, ne- he's sort of more like a back peddler, or he kind of, he almost seems a little stuttery, and so I really liked how he had this commanding presence in this, in scenes with some real, like, heavy hitters like Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, and I was just very impressed with him, and I honestly, I was like, I kind of would have liked to see him more. And I thought, I I really did, I don't have a lot of criticism for the scenes where it's like him and Meryl Streep or like them on the phone. Like those scenes I really felt were really good. Yeah. Um, no, all right. goes all around to Brad? Yeah. Uh, so Bob Odenkirk. Better call I, Saul. Yeah. Uh, which I really feel like kind of was that. Uh, he, they should I, have. They should well, have called Saul. <laughs> I feel like he had the most going on, honestly, in the movie. I feel like, you know, Kay had to make her decisions and Ben had to, like, lead people. But he, like, had to go. He found the informant. He got those Pentagon papers. Like, he went to the the shady hotel room and took the papers on an airplane and got them to Ben's house. Like, he... He did a lot. He he made those private phone calls and like figured it all out. And I was actually really impressed with him. I don't think he got... This is an issue I had with the directing. I think he should have had more scenes. Like I, I feel like he... He was a timid character who had this big role to play in a really huge moment. Right. And I think he could have done a lot with that and I don't think he got the opportunity to I would agree but I also think they on the same the same token they shortchanged Matthew Reese uh Reese I was gonna say rise and I'm like it's not I I definitely agree with you um because that he got the papers I think like it's moments like that where I kind of wish this was a mini series instead of a movie like I kind of wish that this had been like say five hours of television or six it's hours. It's a TV of show. It's called The Americans. Well, <laughs> yes, but in order to really understand this story, and I know there's a podcast about it called Slow Burn that is, um, actually, I apologize. That's about Watergate. Um, but it's the sequel. It's the sequel, right? But there are all there were so many players to make it happen. But the movie recognizes, I think, that really it's about the decision to print. That's mm-hmm. what this movie is about. It's about Kay stepping into a leadership role. And as a result, people like Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk play a crucial role for a piece of that puzzle mm-hmm. in a cog. And so they kind of get one, maybe two scenes to shine. And then they're a part of the machine and they just get to be the ensemble it's like they each have their solo number and the rest of the time they're singing with the chorus which is fine structurally but it does make you when you have such quality actors in what are relatively small supporting parts that are also isolated it's not like it's group scene after group scene it's like no now we have a scene that's just matthew and bob and we watch that play out and we have other small scenes that's just like Sarah Paulson and Tom Hanks. And we have so many one-on-one scenes that they all get to show off enough for you to miss them when they're when they fade into the background or when they've done their part. Yeah, actually what I did to and this seems and I know this seems like way out of left field. Uh, I was explaining it to someone who hadn't seen it because uh, they were talking about being a fan of Bob Odenkirk. And I'm like, so did you ever see Zero Dark Thirty? Like, seeing the post 
because you're a Bob Odenkirk fan is like seeing Zero Dark Thirty because you're a Chris Pratt fan. <laughs> he's He's got some good lines and he's got some scenes and he's a pivotal part of the action, but you don't go go to see it if you like Jessica Chastain. Like, don't go to see it because you're you're like I'm a I'm a huge Pratt fan. Yes, I mean like let uh, like to like to be fair, you know you've got Bob Odenkirk, you've got Bradley Cooper, you've got uh, Matthew Ray, uh, Reese, and uh, but this is Mer- Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks's vehicle they're driving they're just they're in the back kind of asking if they're there yet exactly yeah which i think brings us to tom hanks tommy tommy tom tom or sarah paulson oh do we want to talk about sarah paulson oh no we didn't list sarah paulson we can talk about sarah i mean (laughs) i i don't feel like she had a lot it was the same problem to do she was a really, really smart and supportive wife. <laughs> that was her role. Yep. She had the one scene with him in the studio and then asking, when are these people going to get out of my house? <laughs> and then their daughter just starts bringing lemonade in. And that was, I was like, criminally underused. Criminally. Oh, yeah. She, I would have loved to see, especially after seeing The Trial of O.J. Simpson, which, you know, I binge watched and then you binge watched and... Uh, I mean, I think we can agree. Like, she is just, she's amazing. Like, she and that was she could, that was the role of a lifetime. That was oh, such yeah. a good part for her. She could do so much with that, and I think she will do more like that. But honestly, like, it's sort of how I feel about American Horror Story. Jessica Lane leaving, Jessica Lang leaving. Sorry, saying that made me ta- say, say I was talking about Diane Lane's sister or something. Uh, her leaving was probably the best thing possible for Sarah Paulson's career because she carries the the seasons now and does an amazing job uh but i don't know if i would have been able to see her out of like a supporting role until that and ryan murphy then took her to oj simpson he does some pretty remarkable things as much as i i i have feelings about some of the stuff he does and the thing and the choices he makes directing wise uh he he found some talented people and supports them to no end He's got his club. Be a good club to be in. He does. Um, I, I, I do appreciate that. I didn't realize until very recently that he directed uh, or created one of my favorite series when I was like a teenager, like a real teenager called Popular. Criminally underappreciated show. It's I've on heard the w- as much. Yeah, it was on the WB. I, I want to say it was like two seasons, but it was. It was such a solid show, and there were like certain plot lines that were clearly driven by the the uh, the like WB head honchos. But in general, right. it was it was such a fascinating show to watch, and I really was entertained by it. And I was really sad when it when it ended. Um, it wasn't necessarily my high school experience, but it was interesting to then that he he did Glee. As his next high school show, because it could not be more different in a lot of ways. It's a it's very scathing towards like popular culture, whereas I feel like Glee kind of embraces it in a big bear hug. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. I, I wonder so, how much of that comes with age, though, as he grows as a person. Yeah. Once you're further away from high school, college, I'm sure it's it's probably easier to not be as 
bitter and resentful of everything that was happening then. But I mean, I see he still does certain things with right. American Horror Story that I'm like, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's times that I'm like, American Crime Story, I I'm obsessed with now. <laughs> like I, I don't know what's wrong with my brain, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, all right, so let's talk about Tom Hanks. No good segue from Ryan Murphy to Tom Tom Hanks. I don't think. Oh, I have the connection from Ryan Murphy to Tom Hanks. Okay. Ryan Murphy directed Carly Pope in Popular. Carly Pope was in Orange County, which starred Colin Hanks, son of Tom Hanks. There you go. Wow, good job. I'll be here all week, ladies and gents. That's because that's where you live. Yep. It's my house. My dog is asleep. There are cookies in the oven. Sounds like breaking news, kid. (laughs) What is Uh, it you think we do here? Great Just Tom talking Hanks accents all day. It's like in 20 years, I'm going to sound like a prospector. So what did you think about Hanks? Thanks. Uh, thanks, Hanks. I, I like Tom Hanks. I think he's dependable. And I think that he has... For someone who came from Bosom Buddies and Turner and Hooch... And while it's beloved classic, Big is a little silly, um, and same with Splash, he has done a tremendous job as an actor. He has played a lot of parts that have been very varied. Very varied. And I say all that to say my criticism of him, especially in this role, is not because I don't like him and not because I don't think he's doing a good job. I just wish he picked projects that challenged him again mm-hmm. you know and i and i feel like it's all shades of saving private ryan when he's at his most serious and you shades know of the terminal yeah the terminal uh sully yeah this Captain they're, they're all the, the da vinci code movies like if your dad like i'm saying america's dad if everyone's dad was just not awkward, like a not awkward father figure, that's Tom Hanks. Well, I mean, he made that whole bit on SNL about being like America's dad. And that Mm -hmm. he did that. uh, I mean, really what I want to see him in is David S. Pumpkins, the musical. What I would really like is for either, I would like to see Tom Hanks play a true villain or... Dude. Are you are you alluding to the circle where he's kind of a half villain? Yeah, just like I I don't want there to be any bullshit about it. Like I want Tom Hanks to play a supervillain, or I want Tom Hanks to do like a Hangover movie style comedy. Like I want Tom Hanks to be the villain in The Heat Two or something. I don't know. I just oh, I like that. I I I'm. It's fine. Like it's totally fine. It's it's a it's a good performance. But the character's so fucking one note, he's just constantly trying to, you know, be a newsman, whatever that is, and and convince Kay that to do the the right thing from a journalistic perspective, not from a business perspective. And I appreciate who he is in the function of these real events, and I appreciate Tom Hanks' commitment to that, but there was really no no growth. In that character, he didn't like come to understand 
oh, I, I'm really asking a lot of this business. Like he never had to wrestle really with all these people could lose their jobs. He yeah. didn't have to, you know. He didn't seem to the, like stutter in his in his choices. Like he, he was his conviction didn't sure. waver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is going to sound really weird, but bear with me. My story gets better. I want Tom Hanks, as I said, bear with me, to take a page from Will Ferrell. I'm not saying Will Ferrell makes amazing things all the time, but Tom Hanks is really, really smart in that, for the most part, he can choose successful movies, movies that are going to sell well, movies that are going to be palatable by mass amounts of people. Will Ferrell takes big risks sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't get, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, whatever his Mark Wahlberg thing is, uh, the daddy's home, daddy's home. Thank you. Like I'm, I, yeah, I've never seen th- it. those I, movies are paying for his kids to go to college anywhere. they Exactly. Want. Uh, or the house. But mm-hmm. I, I mean like you, so you see him in something, uh, oh God, what is the one where he is literally just like, uh, everything must go where he's literally just drinking in his yard. And it's incredibly depressing. But it's really raw. It's a raw, emotional film. I'm not saying I really liked sitting and watching all of it, but it was his life was really shitty, and it was a really emotional film because like this character has nothing left to lose. And alternatively, he's, he's done things like Step Brothers and Anchorman and... Uh, and uh, oh my god, why? Uh, old school, that's what I was thinking of. So he's done these movies that are very, very funny. But then he does one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, Stranger Than Fiction, mm-hmm. which is an amazing film. So he doesn't always have these winners, but when he does, it is so wonderful. And Steve Carell, I kind of feel very similarly. Like he's done 40-Year-Old Virgin, but then also Dan in Real Life. I also was incredibly moved by that film. And I'm literally listing like the movies. I I love that my favorite movies of these comedians are really kind of sad. Like my favorite Ben Stiller movie is Secret Life of Walter Mitty because I don't actually like Ben Stiller. Uh, I I I have layers, but these are not them. Um, But yeah, so I kind of would like Tom Hanks to make, to take that leap, to do something either really silly or really sad and depressing, just so we can see this alternative character. Because I feel, yeah, sorry. No, 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 don't be sorry. Um, It feels like the last risk he really took was... Don't say Polar Express, don't say Polar Express. No, I was going to say (laughs) The Lady Killers. Oh, Not yeah. a good movie, but he was Never so committed to this silly, you know, derelict, mustache twirling man. He was just this, he was such a different character for Tom Hanks to A, be villainous at all, but to be so silly. Or maybe, yeah, I mean, since then we've got Da Vinci Code movies like Charlie Wilson's War. Um, He's just, he's really been all in on his world war ii stuff since saving private ryan both with band of brothers and the pacific as far as producing and acting a little bit but i'd say his last risk was cloud atlas which was such an ensemble piece and was so 
poorly received by the public and kind of uh, and a bit scattered. That that I, I think it was scattered. Yeah, Cloud Atlas five years ago was the last I think risk I'm, he took as an actor. I'm probably a freak of nature for saying I really liked it because mm-hmm. I love the book. The book is such a great read and it's such a beautiful story. And there were three directors, and considering that there were three directors for that movie, like it ha- it it worked. Considering, like I mean. Y- it did what what uh, Justice League could not huh. with two. Well, and and what I um, I interpreted about that film at the time was uh, I don't the ad campaign didn't sell me. Then reviews were bad, and I was very tight on money at the time, so I didn't see it. But given your recommendation, I'd circle back and watch it now. I would say if you can download the audiobook, I think you can probably do that for free. Um, read listen to it while you're doing other things because i think it's it's something that it it takes a while to sit down and read it i think it took me like three weeks which is something for me um but and then i'm a dare i'm so literate i read all the time uh, to be fair i'm i've been primarily audiobooks lately uh i i just don't stand still long enough to read a book right now but but it's it's hefty and there are certain parts there's one storyline that it's written in journal entries and i don't know why but since i was in fifth grade like and i read those like settler girl pioneer girl stories like i can't do journal entry stories (laughs) anymore i can't they're so stupid and and so that's the only and so that was why I, and I think it starts with one of those and that's why but Tom Hanks has some real depth in that like he's a villain in some of the scenes and he's so relatable in some and he's so confusing in others and he's conflicted and he plays I think three or four no four five I think he plays five characters in it and they're one of them is like a monster human. Ooh. And one of them is like the sweetest, most well-meaning scientist you're ever going to meet. And one of them's like a really conflicted, futuristic caveman. So, I mean, enjoy. One's a gangster who becomes uh, a book sensation. So, <laughs> apparently this podcast brought to you by Cloud Atlas. Read it. Cloud Atlas. Not actually a map to the sky. No. But I do like it. Uh, it's a beautiful book. And Long story pretty- short, Tom Hanks, start taking risks again. We yeah, miss please that. please do. Please do. And okay, Toy Story uh, 4 does not count. Especially since Dare hated Toy Story 3. I had another conversation. emotionally manipulative backdoor into a terrible Holocaust reference. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, although I will rewatch it. I will give it another chance. I just really didn't like it. I'm, I've recognized that my my feelings are not are not the public's. Um, so Meryl Streep. Let's talk about Meryl Streep because, God damn it, Dan, if I did not love her in this, because thank you, she was playing. And I I was listening to some people talking about her, and they're like, well, I was just sort of underwhelmed because she wasn't really like strong. And I'm like, but that was kind of what was so great about it because. I feel like she gets an Oscar nominee for a nomination for like rolling out of bed in the morning. Yep. She beat her own she beat her own record. <laughs> and I was just like, cool. But 
in comparison to some of the other things she's been nominated for, I was like, yeah, like, this is really, really good. Uh, I'm really impressed with her because she she's played like the some difficult characters she's played some villains she's done these different things but I feel like in general she's a strong woman and this was a hard thing because Meryl Streep is a strong woman playing a woman in a predominantly male environment and she is struggling and you feel that you feel for her and you worry about her and never in my life did I think I'm worried about Meryl but I I was <laughs> I was God I hope Meryl's okay yeah and that's the thing is like I'm like I wonder how she's doing like I've, I've I hope she's okay like she has to go to this party and she has this big decision to make and she has this party and she has to be like brave about it and like how does she do it? But then I'm like, she's Meryl Streep, of course she's gonna do this. But I forgot that and I love that because it's really fucking hard anymore to forget that Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep. End of tangent. Well, the thing that's interesting is, okay, she's be she's been polarizing for the last year because of political comments blah 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 but the people who would take issue with Meryl Streep the actress as a persona as a person who talks about politics or whatever I think would love this character which is so painfully ironic because it's not preachy it's not self-congratulatory it's not um woman takes on man's world and says, fuck you, boys, I'll show you how it's done, or I'll teach you a lesson, or whatever. It was a situation this character never thought she would be in and was happy to never be in. That's the best kind of hero, is the hero that is not just plucked from obscurity who's wanting more, like your Harry Potters, your Luke Skywalkers, who are living these terrible lives and they just and they want to be a part of something bigger, but a character who's truly fine and comfortable and happy and living the life that they want. And then something comes along and is like, nope, you are called for something else. They're like, well, I don't, I'm good. I don't need something else. It's like, nope, you don't have a choice. This is what you're doing now. And the struggle in that, not just from a woman versus man sort of patriarchal versus feminist perspective that was constantly clashing and the thing that I liked about the portrayal of that struggle is that it was played out in power structures not in individual villainy it was just like well this is what you know this is the way that it is here and that's just the fact of the matter but I think the thing that I loved about her character is she wasn't sure she wasn't certain. She was learning. She was failing. She was finding her voice. She was finding her conviction. She was deciding what meant more to her, the possibility of financial ruin, but doing the right thing for the country as she saw it, which she was friends with, with those people. She was friends with people that these papers destroyed, and she chose the the country. She chose people having a right to know why their loved ones died. That is a hard choice when you're choosing between your friends and the unknown masses. That is a very challenging choice. And she portrayed it as a real struggle. And the victory was her finding conviction, not her telling everybody off, not her finally saying what she wanted to to her dad or her husband or that guy at work or whatever. It wasn't this huge moment of liberation. Because at the end of the day, she's a rich white woman. 
Her life mm-hmm. is not that hard, even in 1960s America. Her life is pretty easy in that regard. But she was called to make this very hard choice and find a voice in the boardroom and in a company that she had been around her whole life but had never had to lead or guide. She said beautifully in this movie, I have my first job at 45. I don't know how to do this. And that struggle was unique to this story and portrayed flawlessly. She wasn't grandstanding. She wasn't telling us off. She wasn't lecturing anyone. It was one person's struggle that happened to have the backdrop of politics and sexism. But at the end of the day, it is a story about a person finding what they believe, finding a voice, and doing what is right. And that's why it was so goddamn inspiring. Yeah, and I feel like she was really the inspiring part. And the fact is, like, up into the 11th hour, she was asking her male, like, advisors, her male friends, what would you do? What should I do? What do you think I should do? And all, and I think it made it almost more powerful when she, like, that phone call, I got goosebumps because she was like, no, I think I think we should print it. I think we should. I, and because she sounds unsure, but knowing that, like, she's like, I just have to get through the sentence because I'm going to back out if I don't do this right now. I think we should print it. I think we should do it. And it was just like, I was like, like, getting a little choked up. I'm excited just hearing you say that again. And the best and part I, is when right. she finally says it, she just goes, Let, let's print it. Yeah, yeah, let's let's print print the story. Oh, okay. And then she's like, I, I have to go. <laughs> Yeah, no. She's like, I got a party to host. Because she was halfway through a speech. Like, don't don't keep me on the phone any longer. I don't want to second guess this. Let's let let's print it. This is not appropriate. This is not my manners book. But yeah, ah, yeah, Meryl. As much as I, I mean, like, I would be okay with her winning this this round of Oscars. Although I think I think this is this is Shersha's year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shersha rhymes with inertia. Um, I think it's her year. She's to. I think Shersha Ronan might be the next Meryl Streep because if you think about it, at her age, she's already been nominated three times. She was nominated for Atonement when she was little, then Brooklyn, and now Lady Bird. And I so I think it's her year. She is quite stellar in Lady Bird, um, but. Uh, I I feel I feel like I'd be okay though with Meryl winning because I definitely got goosebumps like with Florence Foster Jenkins I didn't see that shit it just looked like her and Hugh Grant were like hey let's hang out should we do a movie while we hang out yeah let's Bye. do a movie while we hang out <laughs> and like that's what happened uh, but yeah so so that's the acting what do we feel about the directing. I've never wanted to say rude things to Steven Spielberg before, but the lighting in this was shit. It was awful. The interior lighting, especially in her home, I was like, why am I watching a telenovela? What is happening? Everyone is lit, so they're washed out and look yellow. And I don't care if that was the lighting at the time. It makes everyone look ill. Mm -hmm. Um and I love Steven Spielberg. Don't get me wrong. I think Steven Spielberg is a tremendous filmmaker, but I think that in this case, it was not revolutionary. 
He didn't use the settings, I think, effectively. Like, they had these beautiful printing presses. Give me shots of the printing presses. Use we literally that got sh- that end scene. Right? That's it. We got one end scene, and it was beautiful. And we could have been showing aspects of the typeface or whatever going all the time. All the time. It, it could be like your little 20 minutes of banter, that or our little typewriter. It could have been yeah. literally between scenes having that newspaper. That I, I would have loved that. Uh, I mean, like, the thing is, for me, I feel like Steven Spielberg was like, okay, so I've got Streep, I've got I've got Hanks, so we're good here. All right, guys, I got to go and do a video game story now. Yep. So this is this, I, I'm, I'm having kind of a crisis of self right now, so I'm going to go do this, and then I'll be back a few times. But you know I love you. Bye. And then you Everybody have fun. <laughs> and Because it's mainly kids in the other movie. And he's like, I got to direct them. It's like, no, they still need. So actors still need you to hold their hand a little bit. Just like a little bit. Or just point the camera somewhere interesting. <laughs> Zach Woods is like, hello. I'm lost. <laughs> Steven. <laughs> Steven. Um. Yeah, no. I mean, I feel very similarly. I I feel like so much there was so much potential, and it was wasted. And I I I blame Stephen for that, not just because I saw that documentary with him, and I was just like, all in his camp. And then I'm like, you betrayed me. Yeah, I think Spielberg anymore. If he's not doing a blockbuster, he got his Oscar. You know, he did his Schindler's List. And I don't think, I think at this point in his career, he's having fun. He's not trying to prove anything to anyone. And I think that this one was just, was just, it, it felt easy for him. It felt, mm-hmm. an, it felt like an easy approach. It didn't feel like this movie was blood, sweat, and tears. You know, you got Ron Howard, who, while he is, uh, you know, doing those Da Vinci Code movies to pay for his, you know, I guess Dallas Bryce Howard's student loan debt or something. Um, I think it's his grandkids now. Probably. Um, he then does something like Rush, where he's bold and takes risks. And same within The Heart of the Sea, you know, not a great movie, but he worked really hard to take risks in those and he's still proving himself and stepping into solo which the first trailer actually got me excited for that movie i was not before um you know that's a very hard thing to do and i think they're contemporaries as far as age goes they're not contemporaries as far as how they're revered as directors um although ron howard is the superior narrator that is indisputable um it wasn't (laughs) Sorry, he, it's well, true, it's true. played. <laughs> I just, I, I, I want to see Spielberg making films again like he's a hungry man of 30 instead of a man of 60-something. I want the directors that are so prolific right now to be thirsty again. That's right? the thing is they're, they're real hydrated mm. and I'm fucking bored. Like they could do better shit. And I know that, and they know that, but they're like, oh, well, we've proved ourselves. I'm like, you never, ha- I guess this is the th- the writer in me where I'm like, you never stop 
proving yourself. That's why you're depressed all the time. That's why writers are so sad, always. We're always trying to one-up ourselves. And Martin Scorsese gets it. I think that's, yeah. I think Scorsese definitely takes risks. Yeah, I feel like he gets it. I feel like there are a few directors that I'm like, yeah, take a Watiti. He's like, I'm going to try some weird shit. And he does it. I'm not saying not? Taika Waititi and Martin Scorsese are on the same plane, but they are both always trying to do different things. And so I'm not bored. And that's where right. I struggle with directors like Spielberg and Howard. And I'm not going to say Gibson because I don't, I'm not okay with him yet. I get that the Academy is, I'm not. Um, Damien Chazelle I'm interested in to see what he does, but I'm not sure what Jazz did to piss him off so much. I don't know. Uh, otherwise, yeah. Sorry. I just, I don't know why I just got on that tangent. That's okay. That is okay. You're allowed. Okay. Good to know. I, I, I wasn't sure what our safe words were in this podcast. There are none. No holds barred. Cool. Yep. Uh, so, uh- Yeah. You go. <laughs> I I don't want to beat up on one of my childhood heroes anymore. I, I love a lot of Steven Spielberg's work. And I think when his camera work is not on point, I don't understand why you hire the man. That's that's. I think that's a good a end note on the it. directing. <laughs> so writing, I really didn't have much of an issue with. My main note, and I guess this could be like my rewrite too, is end with them walking away in the printing press because that's a beautiful shot. That's a beautiful moment. Um, The last scene of this movie felt, and it was put really well to me, and I'm stealing this, but it was like a Marvel movie where it's like a sequel. Like I felt like I had to wait till the end credit scene to see what's happening. It's like, oh, are we going to see Nixon's face? Because (laughs) that whole Watergate thing, it was, I mean, I get it. It's like the comeuppance of Nixon after he was like putting them through the ringer. But I, uh, I really hated it. Like the end scene, I just, I was like sitting there. I'm like, this makes no sense to me why they did this. I mean, the shot like the filming of it with the shadows and then the and then there's like there's a robbery at the Watergate and it's like oh Watergate it was so so and so like that's my main thing end that um I originally was like cut that uh, cut some of the scene in Tom Hanks's house but then I was like no leave it in because I was thinking about it and like the dialogue with Jesse Plemons and Zach Woods coming in and them just being like this is what you should do and then like going against the reporters and Tom Hanks and the daughter coming in with lemonade and Sarah Paulson just being like okay I'll do dishes or whatever it was really funny and I think they chose some really good cameos for that and it made me really really happy when Zach Woods uh, appeared because I'm like oh you awkward goon I love you so much and he makes every scene funny but it made it made for like um it almost felt a little sorkin where there was just yeah. so much going on there was so much like there was so much script there and originally I was like that seemed like a lot 
I'm like, no, never cut that because that actually, it, it kept me very interested. It was more like the elongated scenes, uh, some of the party scenes where I'm just like, mm, I could have done without this. I honestly, like, I got Alison Bree's role and why she was there, but I thought like the scenes between her and Meryl Streep didn't really feel like they were mother and daughter. Mm-hmm. I think they're two very good actors, but I think honestly, Alison Brie was a little overwhelmed with being put in that situation. Yeah, that was. I also just didn't really see the point of it unless she was more anchored in the traditional life in a way where she was trying to convince her mother to not be. I don't but know. But she wasn't. And that's the thing. I, know. I was like, I don't really understand. You're not really. You're kind of encouraging her, but not enough to justify it. And you're not a detractor, but you are an anchor in her previous life. So I, I don't know. I, I no, and really that's the thing is, I was like, ma- I Love thought there, yeah. yeah, I thought there'd be like a speech of like, you've always inspired me as a mom, and like now you can inspire the nation as a news person, or I, or her saying like, you know, I learned how to be a mother from you, and I, I feel like you know something, and you're very good at it, but you're at, you're expecting yourself to know this other thing and be good at that. And that's, I think, a lot to expect from yourself. Or I just expected one or the other or something, but I was like, no. So I'd cut her out, honestly. As much as I love Alison Brie. Like, she had this disaster artist. She can hang out with her husband and brother-in-law. Yeah, nobody else wants to hang out with her brother-in-law right now, so... I am seriously curious what her opinions on all of that are. She had like a a, a nice non-answer at the Golden Globes, but I don't know. I think yeah. if I was going to rewrite this, I I agree with you 100%. The Watergate shit was an unnecessary, like, it felt like trying to vindicate their actions as like, well, Nixon was super shitty and then look what we know about Nixon. I don't think that mattered. I think they should have ended with like the Vietnam War Memorial or something. I think they should have like focused back in on Vietnam or had a B story running about a soldier's parents trying to get answers about his death or something like that's what this was about. I like that. And I feel like it kind of got, it kind of got overshadowed that it was about Vietnam. It just ended up feeling like it was like, you know, the country's secrets. It wasn't just like the Vietnam War, which was an, awful awful war yeah it just it came down to like the president versus the press which nowadays is very topical but at the same time that's was part of that but it was in an attempt to expose massive wrongdoing by four or five presidents like it was much bigger than nixon and i think they focused it too much on on that because we remember that Watergate was about Nixon. The Pentagon Papers weren't necessarily about Nixon. Yes, they were, but it was about the U.S. government for yeah. years, lying to everyone. And who was ever even held accountable for it? That's the most tragic thing. Is like nobody's shitting on the presidential records of people who continually signed off on this stuff. Like, it's no. tragic how Kennedy died, but... We never hang the anchor of Vietnam around his neck. Like, 
we anyways nope. i think um, it, it, yeah i agree no so yeah. I, I was just gonna say like just a side note i feel like there could have been a lot of growth to tom hanks's character if he had a lot more struggle because like he was friends his character like was friends with john f kennedy and there's a lot, there's there's an awful doctored photo of, of his wife and him with the Kennedys. But um, I feel like that would have been a really great place to give his character more depth. It seems like he had like a scene of that, but it really didn't seem like he had any sort of uh, inner turmoil about his relationship with JFK like it seemed like it was just like oh well I miss him and that's that was a hard thing and I just it's hard to believe that he was part of this and I think that would have been a really good place for Tom Hanks to show his chops and to have a struggle and I I I feel like it was a missed opportunity in that sorry and just before we went off of that no you have nothing to apologize for you're right and I think yeah him him not having uh, as much struggle I mean, it's it's Meryl's vehicle. Like at the end of the day, Tom Hanks is playing in Meryl's movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would have I would have restructured a little bit to really focus on the Vietnam thing because, much like Vietnam, how much are we talking about our involvement in the Middle East right now? How much is that in our national dialogue? It's really not. We're Wait, talking we're about involved the in the Middle things. East. Hmm. Yeah. We're yeah. Invo- there are wars in the oh, Middle East. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah. Whew. And while. Our, our troop casualties are much lower than they were in Vietnam as far as year-to-year goes. Our civilian death toll, our collateral damage, is unforgivable. It's just, it's disgusting how many people we kill over there with bombs and drones daily. Um, and create more terrorists. That's That's what we're doing. But... By focusing on how bad, you know, the president is, we're going to forget about it until until somebody gets elected who wants to do something about it. Like, no one's expecting Trump to pull people out, and no one's going to make that happen. And I feel like the Post is guilty of the same sin, where it, it was no longer about Vietnam at all. And the fact that it ended the war it was a nice side note, but it was about this paper versus a president. And that is... I guess a choice to take with the story and especially since it's told from the perspective of the paper I get that but we need to remember why they cared why mm-hmm. they gave a shit about these papers and that I think we kind of in the th- in the third act we got away from that a lot and we, oh, they yeah. did, they could have wrapped it up better at the end but overall it was a well structured film with some good characters I would have done a fix on the end and endings are the hardest part. We all know that. Or I would have turned it into a miniseries. But that's yeah, me. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Shocking that we agree on something. So, Dan, we're, we're I mean, we're, we're going to do Black Panther pretty soon. But yeah. pretty, we're, the, our Oscars pod is nigh. And Tis. how do you, Tis. and so how do you feel, like not to spoil your Oscar predictions, but how do you feel based on this? that you're going to uh, how do you feel it's going to go um i think you can count the post out for most everything but i think i am i'm feeling very confident in my ability to predict the oscars this year oh really i am did you win did you win last year well you know uh the yankees don't win every world series they just win more than everyone else so 
Okay. Right. Um, have you right. won any of the award show bets? That so in have- hindsight, comparing <laughs> myself to the Yankees was not a great move. <laughs> but I'm a big enough man to admit that. We're going to call uh, this Crary's Folly. I'm, I, I haven't made my full Oscar predictions yet. I, I think at most Meryl will get, will get it. But that's reaching. I think a little bit. I, I I agree. I agree with your head, your weird head shake face. Um, you look constipated. You should probably get that dealt with. I'm um, holding in both a sneeze and a fart. That's what that face is. Oh, uh, just mute your mic. Um, this. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I agree. Like, I think it it had its moments, but. It had so much potential and really didn't reach it. And so I don't really see it as being a big contender, despite it being a Spielberg, Tom Hanks, Streep thing. I've said vehicle already once, and so I have to take three shots if I say it again uh, in earnest. So film. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I feel. But I'm really excited to talk to you about Black Panther. I'm getting, I was I was hesitant about Black Panther, but I'm starting to get excited. I've got the fever. Jungle fever? Is that is that accurate or should I ask you to edit that out? As someone who has beseeched another person to edit things out and they have ignored those cries, I am going to, I'm going to edit that out for you because I'm your friend and that you don't want that out there. Yeah, no, that's probably, especially since I'm dating the whitest person ever. Um, he looks like the Holy Ghost. <laughs> his hair's so short now, though, so he doesn't look like Jesus. Um, uh, Adair, if Dan. you were going to give this, this film another <laughs> title, do it. <laughs> what, uh, what do you think you would have called this? All right, so I have two runners up and then my final. Can I do that? Go to town. You got okay. me beat. And it was funny because I kept saying, like, while I was singing, I'm like, oh, I have a name. Oh, I have a title. Oh, I have a name. Um, so my runners up were The Americans, Subtle Nod to Matthew Reese, and Lemonade. <laughs> Sorry. My final choice. Boo. My final one. My final title is Kay's Choice. Solid. Thank you. Uh, you didn't see Solid. my hands because the camera doesn't work right now, but <laughs> I did a lot of shaky hands. <laughs> shaky hands. I like that. Mm. My album. What? Dan? Dan. Dan. If you, yes? were to, <laughs> if you were to rename this film, this cinematic tour de force, what would you rename it? Um, I, I also chose to do a play on a, on another Streep property, um, but I did have a, a another runner-up. I'll tell my runner-up was to retitle it, Ah, Streep, 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 motherfucker! <laughs> I like that. Ah, Streep, Streep, Tom Hanks! I did go with, instead, um... Graham versus Nixon. I like that. I like that. I, I when you said when you went start with last name, I I, I assumed it was going to be a Kramer versus Kramer homage. I appreciate you and your Meryl Streep 
jokes. I wanted to think of something that was more farcical, but I couldn't really come up with it because it's nearly midnight. When I was younger, instead of going streaking, I wanted to go streeping. That's where everybody dresses up like a streep character and we all run around. There was a Mindy, a Mindy Project episode about it. It was it was pretty legit. Oh, Death I forgot about that. The streep party. And uh, uh, Matthew was... Isn't that his name? Matthew? Are you thinking about Jeremy? Jeremy, thank you. I was like, ah, shitty name of a shitty person. He- no. He had, I think, six costume changes, is what he said. <laughs> yeah. But I loved when he was like, everyone, I, I, I know you probably don't want to go. And they're like, no, you finally chose something that everyone can agree upon. <laughs> oh, oh Streep, Streep, uh, Streep. Ah, uh, Meryl Streep. Meryl on the Streep, Streep, Streep. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm still mourning. On the sunny side of the Difficult streep. people. Ooh, I like that. Um. I'm glad we both went with jokes on that. So, Dan, next episode, it's gonna be it's gonna be wild. We're gonna talk about Black Panther. Oh, wild! Oh, that kind of works. Ah, look at that. Um, we're gonna talk about the Cats remake, the Black Panther. Uh, we I need to talk to Cameron about doing some sort of <laughs> trailer with the Jellicle Ball. Um, that shit was Jellicle as fuck. <laughs> God, I I'm gonna can't yell believe- that in the middle of the theater. I'm gonna see it Friday afternoon, and I, when he does something amazing, I'll go Jellicle! I need to uh, my my audio appropriately muted you for a bit of that. I got what you were doing, but my audio muted. They were like, "We're gonna give you a break." Um, <laughs> that was your mic saying, "Adair, go to bed." It's time. <laughs> Go to bed. Uh, no, I'm going to watch it at some point. I don't work Thursday or Friday, so I'm going to do something. Then I, then I go to Houston, so, you know, party. Um, well, Dan, I have ruined yet another podcast of ours. Thanks for bearing with me. Thank you for being my friend. And uh, Hey, hey, I would travel down the road and back again. Slow Claps and Rewrites is effortlessly produced by Daniel Crary and Adair Rice. Editing is executed by Daniel Crary to the best of his abilities. Slow Claps and Rewrites is a volume in the Secret Weapon Productions Library. Copyright 2018, all rights reserved, in perpetuity. Like Mickey Mouse. <laughs>